0: Rally, it is Tuesday, January 15th, and welcome to the first Eye in the Triangle of 2013.
1: I'm DeAndre Jones. And I'm Jake Languan. We thank you for tuning in. Tonight, our contributor Gene Giranoff, spoke with a physics, a, physics, a physics professor here at NC State with quite an interesting past. And Jake recently had lunch with a New Zealand ambassador to the UN. In addition, there's been a lot of
0: talk about three new statues being erected in honor of three of North Carolina's most famous coaches. And DeAndre went to find out a little bit more. But before all of that, let's see what we can expect in this week's forecast.
1: All right, guys. Currently, it is 45 degrees outside, cloudy overnight with about a 50% chance of rain. Wednesday is looking to warm up a little bit with a high of 67. Don't expect sunshine, though clouds for most of the day. Lows of 45 in the evening. Thursday is going to be cold with highs only in the upper 40s, a 70% 70 chance of precipitation. Friday and Saturday, highs are in the mid-50s, partly cloudy with lows in the high 30s. Monday brings a lot, Monday brings a blast of cold with highs in the mid forties and a low of thirty two. And finally Tuesday, the coldest day yet, an expected high of only thirty six degrees, folks, with a low of thir- with a low of twenty seven. So it looks like the spring days we've experienced the past few days have come to an end, and it's about to get a whole lot colder. Thanks for that, DeAndre. Now we turn for
0: Andrew uh, for the weather, or for the news. Excuse me.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Jake. New York Governor Andrew
2: Cuomo signed into law the first piece of gun control legislation since the Newtown Massacre last month. While the state of New York already has an assault weapons ban, this new law limits the number of bullets allowed in a magazine to seven, adds a uniform gun license standard across the state, and expands current laws for court-ordered psychiatric treatment. Tomorrow, President Obama will unveil a series of gun control proposals developed over the past month by a panel led by Vice President Biden, Included will be recommended legislation as well as executive actions which do not require congressional approval. The House of Representatives is set to vote on a $51 billion aid package to relieve the damage caused in Hurricane Sandy. The bill consists of $17 billion in emergency aid and $34 billion in long-term projects. A previous $60 billion measure was left to expire by Speaker Boehner at the end of the last congressional term. However, members of Congress have expressed confidence that this bill will pass. And Fort Bragg has agreed to stop killing goats for Army medical training. To simulate combat injuries, the fort has shot, stabbed, and blown up over 3,600 goats last year alone. And the practice has been going on for three decades. PETA claims this accounts for a third of total animal deaths caused by the military. Now the military will use human models in training instead of live animals.
0: And that's the news. Thank you for that, Andrew. Dr. Brand Fortner is a physics professor here at NC State. Gene Zernov recently spoke with him about where he came from and how we wound up here.
3: Hey, everyone. I'm sitting here today with our very own Dr. Fortner, who is a physics professor at NC State. Hello. Thank you for coming in.
4: Sure. Yeah, this should be fun.
3: All right. I just wanted to talk to you about your fascinating history. You followed a very non-traditional path, and yet... You worked for NASA, you worked for Johns Hopkins, and you started not one but two software companies. And we would love to hear about that and what the most meaningful experience was, the one you gathered the most of, just maybe any tips for us college kids. (laughs)
4: Just <laughs> for college kids. I love that. Yeah, so I followed a non-traditional career probably because I had ADHD people that are able to focus on single subjects and do really well on single subjects are perfect for an academic career. And those people, the ones that get PhDs, those are the people that are ones that become professors. I tend to be interested in a lot of different things. So while I was an undergraduate, I got sucked into computers. And this is back in the early 1970s, back when Computers were something special. and In fact, I wrote the world's first uh, interactive flight simulator, which was later taken over by Microsoft. That's that's another long story. And later in my graduate career, I got distracted by a new supercomputer center that was going in at uh, the University of Illinois. Wound up working with computers there, and I found the academic life finishing graduate school was kind of an irritation.
3: Yet you ended up in academia.
4: Yeah, but it took me about 15 years to get back. (laughs) So after I left the university, still not finishing my Ph.D., I started my first company, which was called Spyglass. And this is pre-internet. This is before the Internet existed. This was 1990. And I started the company initially to commercialize the software that my team had developed uh, doing scientific visualization, making images out of uh, scientific data. Much later on, we were given the opportunity to be the commercial licensor of the technology developed at Illinois called Mosaic which was the world's first internet browser. And that took us in a completely different direction and lots of stuff happened, which there are several books about. One of the more interesting things was there was a company formed from our technology that they had acquired by acquiring the personnel at Illinois that developed Mosaic. And they called their company Mosaic Communications. The University of Illinois and my company sued them and we won. And that company changed their name to Netscape, uh,
3: Which is a household name at this
4: point. Right. And we didn't become the household name, although in 1994-95, it wasn't clear who was going to win the browser awards because we were the licensor of Internet Explorer, for example. Internet Explorer 1.0 and 2.0 were our products. And there were 28 browsers on the market in 1995. 27 of them were ours. The 28th, of course, was Netscape. But then lots of things... Happened. That was certainly the most non-academic experience I have, and I love talking about the experience because one of the things that people think when they think about being an entrepreneur is, gee, if I read up everything, if I get a master's in business administration... If I hire the best people, I'm going to succeed. People don't understand how incredibly random sometimes what happens is. The fact that we became the licensor of Mosaic was just almost random, it was personal connections. The fact that my second company failed, it failed for a lot of random reasons. And so, really, for me, when I try and talk to people becoming entrepreneurs, it's being able to manage that randomness, to be able to manage the unexpected. And that's what makes successful entrepreneurs.
3: Excellent. What was the biggest thing that you took away from this experience? Honestly? Honestly.
4: If you need a friend, get a dog. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry that that sounds horrible, but I had people that I trusted and do horrible things. So I had a CEO, a good friend of mine, who embezzled from me had developers who were good friends who basically lied and so it's there's a real difference between academia and business that that i was unaware of i think one of the biggest differences is that in academia reputation is very important and so people will always try to protect their reputation or try and attack other people on their research which is actually good it sounds bad but it's good because that way we all kind of go through that fire Business is very different. Business is just as cutthroat, actually. It's more cutthroat, but it's a lot more polite. And so people in business tend to be very nice. I mean, we would socialize with our uh, competitors. We would socialize with people that would stab us in the back when it came around to it. And it was just, it's a different tenor. It was hard to get used to. A short story, I was having a beer with my physics advisor once, and he said that one of the reasons that great people are great and the rest of us aren't is how you deal with failure. That And he, he said it in a very interesting way. He says that most of us live in a fog of regret. We're surrounded by that fog. And it's very difficult to pierce that fog of regret. Really great people can pierce that fog and make decisions based on what is on the ground right now. Now, he was telling me this in the late 90s when Bill Clinton was president of the United States, And he had an issue with Monica Lewinsky. And he was using that as an illustration of a great person. Because Bill Clinton did something that most of us would absolutely cringe by. Most of us would crawl under a rock and hope the world never saw us again. Now Bill Clinton is one of the most respected people out there. And he was able to not have that fog of regret destroy him. He was able to make decisions based on what was true and real. And if I had had that mindset with my second company, I would have had a much different history. Because I always had that fog of regret around me trying to save which was basically unsavable.
3: And you said that your first company was a raging success. Yes. If it became Internet Explorer. Did you sell it to someone or what happened with that?
4: So to answer that question kind of a long way around, we were uh, funded by a couple of venture firms that uh, people that know are are aware of them, Venrock and Greylock. Uh, Venrock is the Rockefeller uh, family, and Greylock is a very well-known Boston venture campus firm. And I remember having a meeting with the Greylock firm, and they were talking about another investment they they made, a company called Avid, which makes video stuff, and they're still around. And they said, yeah, it's a great company. It was a great investment for us. Six months after we invested in them, all five founders were gone. <laughs> so um, there, were, there were three of us that founded Byglass. By 1995, all three of us were gone in various ways. So as part of my leaving the company, I was given the ability to reacquire the original technology I developed, which I did. And I started my second company, and that was the basis of that. So at the time, I didn't feel that upset about leaving You know, so instead of being one of three founders for my first company, I owned 100 percent of my second company, which had its benefits and its downsides.
3: I would like to discuss your research at Johns Hopkins, because that is also a significant part of your career and your life path.
4: Yes. So Johns Hopkins University is is a, a famous place. And there's there's one part that's very famous and one part that very few people know about. So the main campus Johns Hopkins is, of course, downtown Baltimore, uh, Maryland, and you know, it's one of the best universities in the world. They have a medical center that actually employs several times more people than the main campus, and that is probably the best medical facility in the world, arguably. There's another wing of Johns Hopkins called Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab, which also employs several times more people than the main campus does. But Hopkins tends to keep the existence of that arm of the university very quiet. And the reason they do is that Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab does work for a lot of clients. One of our bigger clients was NASA, but we also did a lot of work for other clients, such as the Navy, the Air Force, and other clients who prefer not to be named. Mostly government. Wow. So it was uh, my first experience with large government research Facilities, and it was actually quite a pleasure because we were a research organization, but we were an extremely large research organization, which meant we had a lot of resources. We had lots of computers. We had wind tunnels. We had any subject you can imagine. There was an expert on. So, you know, some of the unclassified research we did was um, training sessions for people uh, running missile exercises on nuclear submarines. Some of the unclassified work we did was the messenger orbiter around Mercury. is a Johns Hopkins um, satellite. New Horizons, which is the satellite going to Pluto, is also Johns Hopkins. I worked in a part of the division working for government clients who prefer not to be named. One of the uh, jobs I did that was unclassified was what we call video steganography. We were getting a lot of videotapes from Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, videotapes that we really would like to have more information about. And my team developed the technology to identify uh, the model and in some cases even the particular camera that took uh, the videotape based on details of the video signal. We also did some work for the U.S. Postal Service trying to validate videos used during video surveillance to make sure that the videos were not tampered with. As you know, it's extremely easy to tamper with uh, sound and video. And when you're in court, you have to prove that it has not been tampered with. And we developed a tamper-proof system for making sure that that uh, couldn't happen. Unfortunately, a lot of the work I did work on are stuff that, you know, I just I can't talk about.
3: Yeah, but thank you so much for sharing. I mean, all the things you mentioned... I didn't know Johns Hopkins did that. I thought it was predominantly a medical university. I actually am considering it for graduate school. But, yeah, it sounds fantastic. And was this a stepping stone towards your ending up at NC State?
4: Indirectly. I I should mention that politically I'm, I'm very liberal. The people I was working with at Hopkins are some of the best and most technically competent people I've ever worked with in my life. And unlike working in an academic institution, we worked as a team towards definite goals. And that was really nice and neat for me. However, I was probably the only Democrat with within the two buildings that I worked in. Although I love the people I worked with in terms of their skills and in terms of the most of the people I worked with were either military or ex-military. And there's a real mission orientation working with military and ex-military that makes life very easy. We just get things done, you know, no drama. Uh, But I wanted to go to a place where I didn't have to pass people with M16s and show my badge and be scanned in and searched every time I went to work. The reason I'm here was that I had a conversation with Dr. Sherwood and Dr. Shabay, who wrote the textbook I'm currently teaching out of. And my friendship with them goes back 45 years. Dr. Shabay and I were fellow undergraduates, Dr. Sherwood used to be my boss back at Illinois. Uh, he's somewhat older. But, I mean, we know, how, how do I say this? We know where the bodies are buried. We know each other's histories. And another person that I deeply respect is a Dr. Bitzer, who is a distinguished professor in the W.E. department here. He came from the team I worked with at Illinois in the late 1980s. The fact that Dr. Bitzer was here, Dr. Sherwood, Dr. spade three people that were very close friends I deeply respected, In conversations with them, they were able to offer me a position in the department here, and it just seemed like a perfect move. Besides the fact that the weather is a lot nicer here.
3: Oh, yes. (laughs) That I would agree with. That's why my family moved here from Russia. (laughs) But thank you so much for coming in. It was really great having you and hearing about all the work you do. So thank you again.
4: Thank you so much.
1: going to cut break, but stick around. We've got more on the way. James McClay is the New Zealand ambassador to the United Nations. He is currently visiting NC State, giving talks about the importance of international relations and New Zealand's place on the world stage. Jake was recently given the opportunity to have lunch with the ambassador. Perhaps no international organization
0: is better known than the United Nations. Headquartered in New York and founded shortly after World War II, the UN is the largest international organization of countries in the world, That plays host to ambassadors from all over this week, the New Zealand ambassador and permanent representative to the United Nations is visiting NC State to discuss some of the largest issues facing New Zealand, the United States and the international community as a whole. The Honorable James McClay served as the deputy prime minister and the leader of the opposition party in the mid 1980s before retiring. In 2009, he was appointed as the New Zealand ambassador to the United Nations.
5: Uh, To be perfectly frank, uh, my job is to be a semi-expert on just about everything where I have a whole lot of experts who work under me. But, um, uh, for for instance, in the UN system, the the core work is done in six major committees, um, dealing with disarmament, with um, development issues, with human rights, with uh, uh, political development, decolonization budgetary and uh, law um, legal issues, including law of the sea. And they are all experts. They're people who know what to do and know know the fine detail and have spent years working in these fields. And my basic task is to be there when something goes wrong. Um,
0: Sitting in a small conference room, the ambassador touched upon the role New Zealand has historically played and continues to play on the world stage, working with and occasionally in opposition to some of the larger players in the international politics, such as the United States, Britain, and France.
5: And that's been the mark of New Zealand at the UN, indeed at the League of Nations before, uh, in terms of its ind- very independent foreign policy. That said, we fought with the United States in every war of the 20th century. We were with you in Afghanistan. Um, and, indeed, I think we finally we finally pull out of Afghanistan next year because the particular province, Bamiyan, that we've been focused on is one of the first to transition to full Afghan control. Uh, and we, we work with the United States on a whole range of issues. But at the same time, we, we often have a, have a very independent line. For instance, we were the only one of the five traditionals of old empire countries, uh, Britain, Canada, the United States, Australia, and New Zealand. were the only one to vote for the recent resolution to recognize Palestine as a non-member observer state at the UN. And that just, uh, I think, indicates the, the somewhat independent line that we tend to take from time to time.
0: Like Australia, New Zealand has often had a somewhat troubled relationship with its indigenous people. The ambassador outlined New Zealand's role in righting wrongs committed against its indigenous people in the past, and its role in the larger global human rights campaign
5: today. Well, domestically, um, probably the big human rights issues we have are those that relate to indigenous people and the need to remedy some past wrongs that were done, particularly in the, in the 19th century. Uh, internationally, they're very much the issues that um, confront, uh, confront us all. Um, we, we, we do take a strong line on human rights issues. That's it, and this links us back to the domestic situation. Uh, we, we've got things to grapple with ourselves and we're slowly, we think, getting them right. We have a rather unique approach to um, remedying past wrongs, which doesn't actually fit very easily with the global approach but suits suits uh, everyone in New Zealand, both indigenous and non-indigenous, and works I guess you would say it works for us but they're very much the issues that, that concern others. We're, we're concerned obviously about the current situation in Syria, just to take one example. Um uh, but, but likewise, we uh, we're we're, lucked, we're equally concerned about what's happening in North Africa and in the Sahel and Mali, places like that, mm-hmm. because there isn't just a, a a threat to international peace and security in those situations. There are very serious humanitarian issues that are arising and have to be addressed in some way. Mm-hmm.
0: Ambassador McLeay also briefly touched upon the recent admittance of Palestine as a UN non-voting member. I asked him to elaborate on New Zealand's decisions to vote in favor of such a resolution, when other countries, including the United States, had voted against it. Could you go into a little bit more detail about New Zealand's decision to give, uh,
5: to vote to give Palestine observer status at the UN? Yeah. We have, for a long time, had a position that really is very similar to that of the United States. And, and what it first of all says is that we want to see what's known as the two-state solution. Two states living side by side behind secure borders, d- defined borders in, 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 uh, in peace and security, and we uh, want to see that resolved and agreed by negotiation between the Israelis and the Palestinians. Now, I've got to say to you, that's almost a mantra, because everybody <laughs> says it, <laughs> oh, yeah. and, and we say it all the time. Uh, the resolution that was drafted uh, did, did called for two things in addition to conferring this non-member state status it, it called for two things and it did so in moderate language which is quite unlike many of the earlier resolutions which usually had some pretty anti-Zionist or anti-Israeli uh, or in some cases anti-Jewish sentiments and we, we always refused to support any such resolution but this was written in very moderate language and it called for two things it called for Uh, the execution of the two-state solution and for the resumption of negotiations. So if you took the text alone, it was a no-brainer for us. But we always said there were two things we would look at. We'd look at the text and we would look at the context. Mm -hmm. And the context at that particular time was the the, uh, action that Israel was taking against Gaza, which I've got to say to you was very understandable. Uh, Rockets being fired out of Gaza on a regular basis into Israel. We're going to invite some retaliation and uh, we, we absolutely uh, not only uh, respect Israel's right to, and support Israel's right to exist, but also its right to resist when things happen. Um, but what was happening was that uh, in the process, uh, Hamas, which frankly most of the Western world regards with disfavor, was being enhanced in its status, um, and we saw the moderate Palestinian voices in, in um, Ramallah um, uh, Mahmoud Abbas, or sometimes known as Abu Mazen, and, um, and uh, Prime Minister Fayyad and others being, uh, their, their, their voice being diminished in the process, and we thought it was very important to give support to uh, what we might loosely describe as moderate, responsible Palestinian voices. So that was broadly the context in which we made our decision. Now others, as I say, um, other close friends of ours made, made different decisions. But, but our basic view was the text was very acceptable and the context obliged us, we felt, to support uh, a moderate Palestinian resolution, which is what we did. New Zealand's
0: ambassador to the U.N. will be speaking about the country's role in international affairs tomorrow night in Daniel's room 343 at 730 p.m. For On the Triangle, I'm Jake Clangua. Uh, just for those that didn't hear um the honorable james mcclay will be tomorrow uh he'll be speaking tomorrow uh in daniel's room 434 starting at 7:30. 30 uh he's speaking about new zealand's role in international affairs it's very interesting i highly recommend everybody check that out now uh three new statues are currently in the planning stages and if erected these would commemorate three nc state coaches of legendary status deandre jones has more
1: the names Kay Yao, Everett Case, Norm Sloan, and Jim Valvano may not mean anything to some, but to an NC State alum or even an avid college basketball fan, these names symbolize leadership, inspiration, and the true meaning of Pack Pride. These four people are the most inspirational coaches that this school has ever had. These people have all served their tenure at NC State, but the school has definitely not forgotten about them. The vast majority of students here at State have seen the bust of an older woman on the side of Reynolds facing Tally. This woman is Kay Yao, a symbol to breast cancer patients everywhere. Soon, however, she will not be the only figure standing guard outside of Reynolds. This fall, a group of students will unveil the Coach's Corner, a collection of statues of those four coaches who've shaped basketball here at NC State. Student government is spearheading the project, with Andy Walsh being the primary spokesman. But before I move to speak about the three men that would be added to the corner, allow me to first speak a few words about the lovely Kay Yao. Coach Yao served the women's basketball program here at State from 1975 to 2009. With a career coaching record of 737 wins and 344 losses, Yao was inducted into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame in 2000. Kay Yao was unfortunately diagnosed with breast cancer, In 1987, however, it did not stop her from coaching the U.S. women's basketball team to an Olympic gold medal in 1988. Five ACC regular season championships and four tournament championships later, Yao died of cancer in 2009. She left behind many legacies, though, including the K. Yao Cancer Fund and the K. Yao Endowment. Everett Case will be standing closest to Reynolds, showing his role in the Coliseum's completion. NC State's head coach from 1946 to 1964, Case will be dressed in his trademark double-breasted suit and holding a basketball net and ball. Case will stand just outside of his old office. Andy Walsh called Case the father of Southern basketball, and appropriately so as he is credited for bringing basketball to Tobacco Road. Case was accredited for introducing the tradition of cutting down nets after a championship, shining spotlights on players as they were introduced and envisioning the ACC tournament. In 1964, Coach Case was inducted into the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame and the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame in 1982. Case was awarded ACC Coach of the Year three times, six Southern Conference Championships, and four ACC Conference Championships. His record was 377 wins and 134 losses. Norm Sloan will appear in an eight foot rectangular relief panel that portrays three signature Sloan poses. The coach in his trademark checkered jacket, coaching on the sidelines, and holding the 1974 National Title Trophy. After playing for legendary coach Everett Case, Norman Sloan returned to Raleigh in 1966 as the head coach of NC State's men's basketball program until 1980. Coach Sloan was a fierce competitor and earned the nickname of Stormin' Norman. By 1973, Sloan had assembled one of the best teams in college basketball history. This was the man that is responsible for NC State's first NCAA basketball championship in 1974. He had an overall record of 266 wins and 127 losses. He had two ACC regular season championships and three ACC tournament championships, along with the one NCAA tournament championship. In 1980, Jim Valvano became the head coach of NC State, bringing his larger-than-life personality and his love and enthusiasm for the game of basketball with him. The Valvano statue will capture Jimmy V running around seeking a hug partner after the 1983 National Championship game in which he won us our second national title. Quote, I didn't think anything conveys his larger-than-life personality better than him running looking for someone to hug. Unquote, said Walsh. The resulting scene of Valvano running around searching for a hug will always be an important image to NC State basketball and March Madness as a whole. After departing NC State, Valvano joined the the broadcasting booth and called games for ESPN and ABC Sports and is also known for his motivational speeches, sensing from his courageous battle with cancer. After coaching NC State, Valvano founded the V Foundation for Cancer Research. The V Foundation's goal is to realize Valvano's dream of a cancer-free world and has raised over $100 million since. He had over 200 wins at NC State and was inducted into the New York City Basketball Hall of Fame in 1993 in the National Italian American Sports Hall of Fame in 2004. His official record was 209 wins to 114 losses and brought the pack to two ACC regular season championships, two ACC tournament championships, and of course the one NCAA tournament championship. These four people will always mean so much to the red and white of NC State. And it is only appropriate that they are enshrined outside of our own Basketball Coliseum. I, for one, am extremely happy to see these changes being made. Mind you that with these three statues coming in, the K. Y. bus would be moved outside of the front of the new tally, as she was a great supporter of the new tally project. To learn more about this project, head on over to coachescorner.ncsu.edu. And that's all I've got for you today, guys. For Eye on the Triangle, this has been DeAndre Jones.
6: Time, time is very precious to me. I don't know how much I have left and I have some things that I would like to say. Hopefully, at the end, I'll have something that will be uh, important to, uh, to other people, too. But I can't help it. Now when I'm fighting cancer, everybody knows that. Uh, and people ask me all the time about how you, you go through your life and how's your day. And nothing has changed. For me, as Dick said, I'm a very emotional, passionate man. I can't help it. That's being the son of Rocco and Angelina Valvano. That comes with the territory, right? We hug, we kiss, we love. And and when people say to me, how do you get through uh, life or or each day is the same thing? To me, there are three things we all should do every day. If we do this every day of our life, you're going to have, what a wonderful, number one is laugh. You should laugh every day. Number two is think. You should spend some time in thought. And number three is you should have your emotions moved to tears. could be happiness or joy. But think about it. If you laugh, you think, and you cry, that's a full day. That's a heck of a day. You do that seven days a week, you're going to have something special. And
1: And, uh, that was Jimmy V, the uh, beloved coach from NC NC State. Um, all these, I mean, of course, all the coaches were really great people, but he was probably, you know, one of the most charismatic. And uh, that was his speech at the ESPYs, and it's gotten a, a lot of a lot of publicity because it was a really ins- inspirational and uh, moving speech. So I suggest that if you're interested, you should definitely look it up. And uh, just, I really appreciate the guy.
0: Certainly one of the uh, most well-known NC State coaches out there. So uh, now that the holiday season might be over, that doesn't mean an end to holidays we should be celebrating. DeAndre? Of course not.
1: <laughs> so... um tomorrow january 16th is national nothing day um it's funny because it's um it's actually called like an, an unevent instead of an event because it's something that you're just supposed to like i mean celebrate doing nothing Um <laughs> just on a wednesday uh, i mean yeah and i guess it's appropriate too because wednesday is fairly hump day hump day
0: hump day you know you never heard that No. wednesday is a hump day monday and tuesday are the beginning of the week Thursday, oh, Friday, okay. end of the week, I guess. And then there's Hump Day, sure. Wednesday.
1: Okay. Um, regardless, <laughs> this is this holiday was, was created by Harold Pullman Coffin. He was a newspaper man in 1973. Okay. Um, otherwise, I mean, there's nothing. There's nothing else to nothing. But it newspaper. is
0: Nothing Day, you know.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> next we have uh, January 17th, which is Ditch New Year's Resolutions Day yeah okay almost so, three weeks yeah so like- it's appropriate at this point <laughs> seems like a pretty
0: appropriate yeah appropriate timing
1: <laughs> so at this point i mean this is made because usually at this point people have uh, decided that they're going to give up on going to carmichael gym every day and uh you know trying not to eat fatty and all that stuff
0: have you guys followed through with your resolutions so
1: far i've learned not to make a resolution <laughs> <laughs> because i'm not gonna follow them right. um i'm just gonna i mean like Going to the Carmichael gym is, is something that you should be doing, but let's be real. The first two weeks after you know after the year starts, it's packed away full of people that probably aren't going to be there within the next two and weeks.
0: then right around the 1st of February, it kind of drops off. Exactly.
1: All right. So, uh, January 18th is Winnie the Pooh Day. Um, this is the day that, uh, the uh, what's it called? The author? Yes, the author. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the author. Was it E.E. E. Millie? E.E. E. Millie. E.E. E. Millie. E. Millie. I don't um, know. Anyway, it's created as an opportunity to enjoy your favorite bear, all of his friends. Um, I personally didn't watch the show because it kind of creeped me out. My favorite
0: bear kid. was Little Bear, so.
1: <laughs> Regardless. Um, it's And it was created to celebrate the birth of A.A. A. It's A.A. A. Melanie, by the way. A.A. Melanie, oh, yeah. sorry. In 1882. Okay. I did not know that it was that old, but yeah, yeah. 1882. It's been around a while. So next is Penguin Awareness Day.
0: Okay, I think and that is
1: January twentieth. I
0: think we're all aware of penguins.
1: Um, yeah, and this not to be confused with World Penguin Day, which is always April twenty fifth. So penguins,
0: what, What's the difference?
1: Well, Penguin Awareness Day is more of a day to, um, it's more or, or yeah, it's more of a day to like be aware that like penguins are a lot of penguins, a lot of species of penguins are like going extinct and stuff like that. Okay. Um, so yeah, Just, you know, spend a little time learning about penguins, about what they do, about their you know, their instincts and whatnot. They're, okay. Their penguin Okay. So, um, 21st, Martin Luther King's birthday.
0: Of course, we have a very important day in history and we all have off. No classes. Yeah,
1: and, you know, that's even better. Um, so, yeah, uh, do a little research about Martin Luther King, you might be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> um, and January 22nd, my personal favorite out of all of this, besides Penguin Day, is National Blonde Brownie Day.
0: Blonde Brownie. Yeah what you is know what that? that
1: is no yeah, have you never had
0: one you ple- It's a
1: it's a vanilla brownie i've never even heard of, that. I you, have you heard
2: of that i No. why would they call it a brownie if it wasn't brown
1: well i've i've heard it called a blondie before okay but regardless it's it's a vanilla brownie instead of like a chocolate brownie
0: really i've mm-hmm. ne- i didn't even know that was a thing yeah i'll, I'll have to you, try one you can
1: go to most popular uh popular sit-down restaurants really and order one yeah
0: um I've never, I've never even, I didn't know until this moment that those things existed, well, so
1: I'll certainly have to try I one. I highly suggest that every single person listening right now, if you haven't had one, try one, because they're delicious. All and right. do it on the 22nd, which, by the way, is the day of our next show, Tuesday. So All right. Eat a, um, eat a blondie and listen to EOT. <laughs> EOT. <laughs> All right, so for the latest in-campus happenings, here is Grab Buckner. Grant Buckner, Grant Buckner
0: I apologize about that. Something appears to have gone wrong. Uh, technology. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, it looks like we're not going to have community calendar for this week. But um, that just about wraps up all we've got for you this week. A big thanks to Gene Zernov, Andrew Eichen,
1: and Grant Buckner for their contributions. We'd also like to thank Dr. Brand Fortner and Ambassador James McClay, who both took time out of their busy schedules to speak with us twice this week. From all of us here at Eye the Triangle, we thank you for tuning in. And as always, if you heard anything you liked, you hated, or anything that made you think, let us know on our Facebook page. You can also follow us on Twitter at WKNC underscore EOT. Also be sure to check out our blog at WKNC.org. dot uh, Until next week, and again, I apologize for that. <laughs> Good night.